word today for the public reading of his word. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. This portion of scripture that we've been settled in for the last uh, six weeks, and we have a couple more weeks to go. But I'd like to read Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word and may God bless our time together as we study his word today. This portion of scripture found in Matthew chapter 5 is known as the Beatitudes and it's the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're aware that as Jesus was here and he walked on earth, he, he, he traveled and he told people and he taught them and he instructed them. And the Sermon on the Mount was a time where the multitudes had gathered and he positioned himself on a, on a hillside, a mountainside, and began to teach the people. And you notice that each uh, verse that we just read began with the word blessed. Every single verse there began with the word blessed. And if you're here for week one of our series, Pastor Jerry shared with us that the word blessed here in these verses means happy. So in light of that, let's look at today's key verse, verse number eight. Blessed or happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, as Americans, we've become increasingly concerned with purity, but it might not be exactly what you're thinking. We've become very concerned with it. We want to drink pure water, we want to have pure air, and we want to eat pure food, don't we? That's, that's something, is, that, is that a true statement? It is. It is. In fact, uh, some statistics show that. In uh, 2020, two years ago, listen to this, the home water filtration market in the United States was estimated to be over $11 billion. That's a B, friends. Billion, not million, billion. $11 billion. That's a lot of money for pure water. That's just the U.S. alone. That doesn't count the rest of the world. Now let's look at clean air. I will confess to you this morning that our family purchased two home air purifiers a couple of months ago. We put one, one upstairs in a living space and one downstairs. Why? Because we were sick of the smoke. And we've got pets and we desire pure air. And so we've got those things going and they do help. That's what we've experienced. And maybe you've done the same thing at your house. You want to have, and, in, and every year we also want to chair, change our air filters and our HVAC units because we want good, clean air to breathe. But if you want to really get serious about air quality, you can hire a company that will come into your home and they will do a home analysis on why your house smells. 
And this will cost you between $3,000 and $15,000, depending on what they find. That's a lot of money. So I'm going to make you a deal today. If you want to save yourself some money, I will come to your house for $100, (laughs) and I will tell you why your house smells. There's a sign-up at the Welcome Center, so make sure you sign up today before you leave, okay? (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. But as important as uh, pure water and clean air and pure food is, there's a sense of purity that we tend to overlook in our lives. And we find it here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Happy are the pure in heart. In heart. You see, happiness is a heart condition. A lot of times we think we're happy if good things happen in our life, and that's where our our happiness really comes from. The Husky football team pulled out a win Friday night, and I was happy. But next week we're playing the Oregon Ducks. And I would love for my Huskies to win, but, you know, when you look at the statistics, it doesn't look too promising for us. So I don't want to have to give up my happiness next weekend when they lose. You see, when we look at happiness, we think of it based on what's going on in our life on at that moment. But Matthew 5, 8 says, happy are the pure in heart. Happiness is a heart condition, not just some fleeting emotion. You know, understand that today. How many of you know that when Jesus begins, he always begins with the heart? He goes to the heart of the matter. You see, when God sent his son to earth, he sent the thing that was most near his heart. His heart was moved by love for you and I. And Jesus' heart is to see you and I saved from our sin, to be reconciled with God the Father, and ultimately his heart is that we will make heaven our home. That's the heart of God. See, happiness is a heart condition, and it's important for us to understand this truth today, that everything that flows out of our lives comes from our hearts, the things that are found there. I'll say that again. Everything that flows out of our lives comes from our hearts. It's not what goes inside of you. It's what comes out of you. So you see, real happiness, true happiness is from the inside out. Does that make sense? From the inside out. And these words here, pure in heart, they refer to having unmixed motives present. You have unmixed motives. You're a person of integrity. You don't say one thing and then you act another way. Your motives are true. That's what pure in heart, that it reveals. It refers to having unmixed motives. Now, friends, God is concerned with the why we do things just as much uh, as a reason as what we do. You hear that? He is concerned about the why just as as much as the what. So many times we're concerned with the what we do. God, I want to please you in the things that I do. But he is just as concerned with the why we do things as as much as with what we do. He is concerned with our motives. And the truth is, friends, only you know the motives of your heart. I know the motives of my heart. You know the motives of your heart. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 1, be careful not to parade your good deeds before others to attract their notice or you will lose all reward from your Father in heaven. So is it possible to do good things and have wrong motives? Absolutely. 
Can we be inwardly religious, or sorry, outwardly religious and inwardly a mess? Yep, you sure can. Only we know our motives. But the, the point that Jesus is making here is happiness comes, true happiness, real happiness comes when you're the same on the inside as you are on the outside. That's where it comes from, real true happiness. It says that you're a person of integrity. You have unmixed emotions in your heart and you're the same inside and out. And in fact, this is so true. This truth is so important, I should say, is that uh, Jesus spent an entire chapter addressing it. Matthew chapter 6 in its entirety deals with motives, the motives of our hearts. So we're going to look at this together in the scripture, and we're going to see what it takes to develop pure hearts today. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for those who are gathered here today. I, I thank you for those who are able to tune in online. Lord, today we just ask that you allow us the opportunity to hear your voice, your still small voice, speaking into our lives today. You don't need the opinion of a pastor. We, you don't, you, you don't, you don't uh, want, want anything in this room other than what you want in our lives, God. That's what we want. Your agenda to be forwarded. We want your word to be taught. And you, we want our hearts to be receptive and open to what you would say to us today. We thank you, Jesus. And thank you, God, that we can hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a copy of today's notes, you can open those up. There is a lot of fill-in-the-blanks today. If you look at there's middle, middle, and the back, there's a lot that you can fill in. So I hope to have this done in the next two and a half hours. That's my goal. And if you're lucky, I might get in in a 2.15. So that's, that's the, the hope. So if you have your notes today, we're going to learn how we can develop a pure heart. So the first main point is this. The Bible instructs me to remember that God sees everything. We need to remember that. There's a key phrase repeated multiple times in Matthew chapter 26, in verse 4, in verse 6, and in verse 18. And here's the phrase, your father who sees everything. Your father who sees everything. The reality is, is nothing is a secret to God. Nothing. Nothing is ever surprised to him. God just doesn't one day say, oh, how did I miss that? That's not God. He is never surprised. Nothing is ever kept secret from him. Does it bother you to know that you have no secrets from God? It bothers me. Because over my lifetime, there have been plenty of times I have wanted to keep things from God. I'm just being honest. Maybe I'm the only person here. That's, that's just me. Have you ever had times in your life you've wanted to keep things from God? We've been there. But God says he knows everything about us and there are no secrets from him. And if we desire to have pure hearts, if we desire to have purity and pursue purity in our heart, we need to remember that God knows everything. Now, there's some people who think that they can fool God. They can pull one over on God, right? Have you ever had the enemy kind of whisper into your ear, go ahead and do it. Nobody's going to find out. Well, guess what? Somebody already knows. Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
Look at that. Nothing in all creation, everything is known by God. So if God knows everything, I might as well just pursue a pure heart than rather trying to fake it. Trying to act one way on the outside and fake it, but realizing that my heart is not pursuing that purity that comes from him. It's coming to the realization that I might be able to fool some people, but I can never fool God. But here's an amazing thing. With this realization that God knows everything, he knows everything we've done, he knows everything that we're going to do, yet he still loves us. I'm going to say that again. He knows everything, and yet he still loves if each one of us could have our lives put on display on, on the screen and everything, every secret we have could be on display, we would think, dear Lord, we are not worthy of anything, but yet God still loves us. That is the goodness of our God. We sing about that, that reckless love, that love, that word reckless. It doesn't make sense to the world. It seems, why would you leave 99 to go after the one? That, that, that seems opposite. It's, the world would call that a reckless love. And it seems reckless, but God knows exactly what he's doing. Amen. He loves us and he will pursue us all the days of our life with the intent that we would live in the house of the Lord forever. Yeah. Let's continue this pursuit of our hearts as we move on to the second main point this morning. Points one and two are kind of close together. So we'll move on to the main point number two. The Bible instructs me to review my motives, my motives. This is an honest evaluation of why I do the things that I do. Proverbs 24, 21 says that God knows and judges your motives. He keeps watch on you. He knows and he will reward you according to what you do. If you're taking notes, I want you to either circle or underline those two words, motive and rewards. Motive and rewards. God is saying that our reward is based not just on what we do, but why we do it. That's motive. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus uses three examples of this. He uses the examples of giving, of prayer, and of fasting. And these are all good things, right? But they are good things that we can do in a wrong way. And Jesus touches on this point of these things. So the first example is giving, of giving. Matthew 6, 2 says, When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So Jesus says, when you give, you shouldn't give in order to be seen by other people because giving isn't for our own honor or our own praise. It would be like me this morning in the front row when the offering bucket was going to go by and I would stand up and I don't have a trumpet, but I had a megaphone, a big megaphone. And I would say, dear God in heaven, thank you that I could honor you today with the giving of this large cash donation. Lord, you have been so good to me. In fact, you've probably been good, to, better to me than most because I sit in the front row. I am closer to the presence of the Lord. I don't play the trumpet, so I guess that's what I, I would have to do if that were the case. Maybe they did that back then. Giving isn't for our own honor and our own praise. 
A friend of mine I went to college with, he went to go visit a church one time, and he had an experience I wanted to share with you. When he came into the church building, he noticed that many of the items in the building had name labels on them. On the pews, on the backs of the pews, uh, on the hymnals, they had names, names on, on the pew Bibles, on some furniture in the church, and it really stood out to him that these, these names would be on there. Now, many times we do know that some... There are times where people have plaques of, of, of honorary, or honoring them, um, and, and that's, that's good and all. But the thing was, he found out that these labeled things were labeled with people's names who were still alive. They were still alive. These congregants had donated things, and as a part of that, they had their names on them. So where they sat, if they donated to that pew to purchase it, their name went on it right there. Or on that Bible or on different furnishings. And it, and it really stood out to my friend because he had never seen anything like this before. You couldn't help but see what people had done. Did you hear that? Yeah. You couldn't help but see what people had. Now, they had tried to bless the Lord a minute, but they were on display. So it begs to ask this question, why do we do what we do? Matthew 6, 3-4 says... But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In fact, don't even talk to yourself while you're giving. That'd be weird. And the ushers will probably take you out in the lobby. God wants the motives of our hearts to be pure and true in all that we do. So Jesus gave us this example of giving. The second example that he gives is the example of prayer, praying. Matthew 6, 5, he goes on to say, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners and pray loudly. They want people to see them pray. I tell you the truth. They, have all, they already have their full reward. Now we need a little bit of historical perspective on that portion of scripture because I've heard people talk about this and, and we need to understand the historical perspective to gain the right context of what this is speaking to, okay? So in Jesus' uh, time, in his day, there were two places where a Jewish person might pray in a hypocritical way. The first place is in the synagogue at the public time of prayer. And the other place was on the street at the appointed times of prayer. There was three appointed times, 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. Designated prayer times. All right, how many of you would be glad, like, you know, your watch goes off at 3 o'clock. Oh, so I got to go pray. I need an hour to go pray. These were commonplace in Jewish culture at this time. So in synagogue worship, someone from the congregation might be asked to get up and take a prominent place and offer prayer before all those in attendance. And sometimes, Jesus said, those who would pray would take advantage of the moment and use it to bring attention to themselves rather than to God. And he called them a hypocrite for what they were doing. The second place, public street of prayer, is a little bit different. Okay, um, praying on street corners was not a normal religious activity in Jewish culture. But someone who strictly observed the afternoon hour of prayer could deliberately time his movements to bring him to the most public place at an appropriate time where they might pray in public 
and bring attention or have the wrong motives of their hearts to bring attention to themselves. And Jesus said that these hypocrites prayed not to be heard by God, but to be seen by men. And prayers like this are an insult to God because they use God merely as a tool to impress those who are listening. Those who pray in such a way, it says that they've already received their reward and they should enjoy it in full because that's all they're going to get. That is their reward. That's what they longed for and that's all that they're going to get. There is no reward in heaven for such prayers. There's no reward. When we pray to God, our only motive should be the outpouring of our hearts to God and to God alone. That should be the intent of our hearts. I remember I've been at places before where people have used a time of prayer to give an announcement. Lord, help us remember that the potluck happening in two weeks has been moved <laughs> from the Smith's house to the Johnson's house at 7 p.m. And to please bring something alphabetical. If you're A through J, bring a main dish and on for desserts. Our prayers should be to God and God alone for his glory and his honor with no other intention rather than that he be honored. The third example that Jesus gave here talking about motives is the example of fasting. Abstaining from food, okay? Matthew chapter 6 verse 16. When you give up eating or fast, don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites. They make their faces look strange to show people that they are giving up eating. I tell you the truth, those hypocrites have, have their full reward. In fact, if you look at verses 17 and 18, the rest of that chapter, they go on to say, when you're fasting, wash up, comb your hair, put on clean clothes, so that way people won't know. But there is somebody who will know, and that's God. Amen. Jesus is speaking to the hypocrites today, but he's also saying something to us as well. That's the point of these examples. Jesus is saying, let your motives be pure. Do everything for the honor and praise of God alone. And if we can't do that, then maybe it's because we have mixed emotions in our heart. I'm sorry, mixed motives in our hearts. Jesus uses that phrase, don't be a hypocrite, three times in those verses. John chapter 12, verse 43 says, for they, Pharisees there, loved human praise more than praise from God. And being hypocritical is the opposite of possessing a pure heart. Jesus said that the Pharisees chose the praise of others more than the praise of God. And in the end, that praise is all that they will receive. 1 Thessalonians 2.4, the Lord says, We do not aim to please men but to please God who knows us through and through. He knows every motive of our hearts. He knows us. There's nothing secret from him. So really quick, based on that verse, here's a heart evaluation. Okay, heart eva an EKG of our hearts, maybe an echocardiogram looking at our, our, our spiritual hearts today. Who do you want to please most? In your life and in your heart, who do you want to please most? And the answer to that question will reveal the condition of your heart. 
If you desire the praise of others like the Pharisees, that will be your full reward. But if you aim to please God, you will receive his praise in return. He will be honored in and through your life if that is the aim of your heart is to please God. So how can we develop your hearts? Well, we need to remember that God sees everything. We know that we have to review our motives to be pure and true. And finally, our third main point, the Bible instructs me to realign my priorities. Realign my priorities. Exodus 20, verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. I wish I had a Charlton Heston voice to say that. You shall have no other gods. It takes me way back to the Ten Commandments movie. There was something about his voice when he said that. If, if God had an audible voice we could hear, I think it would sound like Charlton Heston. <laughs> you shall have no other gods before me. This is the first commandment of the ten. You shall have no other gods. God says, I want top place. I'm not going to play second fiddle to anybody else. I'm not going to have any other rivals. Whether it's your career or your husband or your wife or your kids or anything, I want first place. Have no other gods before me. Let me ask you this. What is a God? We talked about have no other gods. What is a God? A God is anything that I allow to take top priority in my life. That's a God. And we get to choose who sits in the big chair of our life, the first seat. He will have no other gods before him. And our priorities will determine what God fills this top position in our life. So we have to think about priorities in that way. It's a determining factor on who sits first place in our lives. So how do we know what our priorities are? Well, there's three tests. We've got lots of threes this morning. Here we go. Three tests in Scripture that reveal what our priorities are. And the first test is this, is to look at my activities. Look at my activities. Where do I invest my time and my finances? Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Don't pile up treasures on earth, but keep your treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, your heart will be there too. If you're taking notes, you can circle those words, your heart. Wherever we put our investment, that is where we put our heart. You understand that? Where we invest, that's where our heart is. Now I can ask someone, I can go around and I can do a, a, a man on the street and I can go and ask, and ask people the question, what's first in your life? And a person can say, oh, well, the Lord is first in my life. No doubt about it. The Lord is first in my life. And I said, awesome. Thank you for sharing that with me. Could you please show me your checkbook and your calendar so we can verify this statement that you're making? And be like, oh, uh, uh, just a second. I got to go check those. You see, what we give our time and finances to speak to what our uh, priorities are. Regardless of what we say is first place in our life, where we spend our time and money determine what is first place. That's why the purpose of tithing is to teach us to put God first in everything, right? So when we give 10% of our finances back to God, we remember that it all came from him to begin with. 
He was the starting point. We give back to him. So we can continue to do that. We can give him the first part of our day. We can give him the first part of our finances. We can give him the first part of our week, Sunday, today. It's for God. It goes to him. God is first. And that's why tithing is a, a reminder of this. We can look at our activities. The second test in scripture is looking at my uh, looking at my activities, or I'm sorry, say that again. First priority is looking at activities. Now we have to look at our anxieties. Anxieties, our worries. What do you worry the most about? You can tell a lot about a person by what anxieties they carry and burdens that they carry. In fact, we can learn a lot about ourselves based on our worries as well. Matthew 6.25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Oh, just, just don't worry about it. That's the first part of that scripture. But if you continue to read the rest of Matthew chapter 6, you'll see laid out there the five most common worries that we experience in life. Verse 24 talks about finances. None of us in here have ever worried about finances, right? Verse 25 says food. This is our sustenance and our nourishment, worrying about that. Verse 27 talks about fitness, our physical bodies, and concerns and care and anxiety about that. Verse 28 talks about fashion or what you clothe yourselves in. And verse 34 is the future, what is to come. Things that we worry about, that we stress about, that hold us down. Now, when we read verse 25 and it says, don't worry about your life, it's not saying that we don't have to work or take care of ourselves or plan for the future. It's not saying that at all. But what it does point to is, is that if, if these material things consume us to the point of anxiety and worry and stress, we need to reevaluate our priorities. In fact, worry itself indicates that there might be a wrong priority in place already. See, this is what anxiety says. It says, God, I think I'm the one in charge here. I'm so worried about this, I've got to carry this myself. I'm worried about this, and I have to, I, I have to be my own savior. I don't know that, I don't, I'm not sure you can take care of this one, God. That's what anxiety would say. And if that's where we find ourselves today, it might be time just to pause, park the car, and get in alignment. Realign our hearts if that's where we're at. The third test that reveals our priorities are our ambitions. When you look at our ambitions, activities, anxieties, and ambitions, my goals reveal the direction of my heart. So whatever my first goal in life is, my main ambition, what's most important to me, that is my God. Does that make sense? Matthew 6 31 through 33. So don't worry and don't keep saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? This is what the pagans are always looking for. Your heavenly fathers know, knows what you need, uh, knows that you need them all. Instead, set your heart on the kingdom of God and his goodness, and all these things will come to you as a matter of course. Did you notice that little phrase in there? It says that 
always looking for. The pagans are always looking for. Well, that's ambition. Always looking for. Don't always be looking for what everyone else is looking for, friends. You see, that's a problem with a lot of Christians today. Many believers have the same exact ambitions and the same exact goals as unbelievers. And there's no difference. They've bought into the culture and the system. And so as a result, they have the same tension, the same stress, the same headaches, and the same problems. But God says, before anything else, set your heart on doing what I want you to do. Have your heart aligned in me. Seek me first. And then everything else will come into place in the course of your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. As we wrap things up here this morning, when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, what exactly did he mean? What does that mean? Well, if you have your notes, pure in heart means this. I am continually conscious of the presence of of God. It means I am more focused on God than I am focused on the people around me. A pure at heart person is happy to please Jesus and no one else. Can I please everybody? Well, the bad news is no, you can't. I can't, you can't. We can't please everybody. But the good news is, is that we can please God. We can please him. The second thing, a pure in heart person is content with the praise of God. That person wants the reward of God, not the reward of people. They don't get in the spotlight and make it about themselves. I'm going to give you a, a, a Darth paraphrase this morning. Can I do that? This is not inspired Holy Scripture. Just want to clarify that this morning, but this is a Darth paraphrase. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. So here we go. The people who are showing off with their religious deeds, they have the reward. But if you stay out of the spotlight and don't worry about what other people think, God will reward you. Is that simple enough? Stay out of the spotlight. Make it about Jesus and not about yourself. And if you do that, your heart will be in the right place. You will have purity of heart and God will reward you. Now, the word reward in these two verses are very, very different. We need to understand this. The word reward... For those who seek the spotlight for themselves, it means a temporary reward. But the word reward for when God rewards you means a permanent investment. A permanent investment. You don't get the reward immediately, but it's on its way. It's on the way. And number three, a pure heart person is controlled by God's priorities. That's when he or she has their heart set on what God says is important. So what's the result of having a pure heart? Well, number one, happiness is a result. It's been promised. Why? Because you are genuinely happy. It's not fake or pretend. You're the same on the inside as you are on the outside. This happiness comes from within because your heart is right with God. And the second result of having a pure heart is, says right here, quote, they will see God. 
This is the result of having unmixed emotion and living for God with a pure heart. You will see God in your life. You will see God in your circumstances. And one day you will see God in heaven. That's the promise right here. But just as it's hard to see with dirty glasses on, we don't always see God well when our hearts are dirty. It obstructs our view, our sight of him. And trust me, I've been wearing glasses for over 20 years, and I daily have to clean these. Daily, I have to clean them up so that way I can see well. If anything obstructs my vision, I'm in trouble. I can't even drive a car without my glasses. So if my glasses are dirty and I'm driving a car, just get me off the road. (laughs) But it affects the way that we see things. And it's the same with our hearts. If our hearts are dirty, they need to be cleaned. They need a cleansing to take place. And how does this happen? How do we clean up our hearts? We can't. We cannot clean our own hearts up. Because if we could, Jesus wouldn't have needed to have come 2,000 years ago if we could have done it ourselves. But we can't. We need him to do it. We need to do what, what David did in Psalm 51. He was in desperation and in sin, and David cried out to the God in verse 51:10, Create in me a new clean heart, O God, filled with clean thoughts and right desires. That was a prayer and the cry of David's heart. Would you bow your hearts and your heads with me this morning as we invite the worship team to come out at this time? Create in me a new clean heart, O God. Is that your prayer today? Is that what you want in your life? Because you don't have to pretend to be happy when your heart is not right. You don't have to put on some kind of facade that you're following Christ when you're only doing it half-heartedly or or even at all. Would you respond to Jesus this morning with your heads bowed and your eyes closed by saying, Jesus, I want a pure heart. True happiness, true contentment comes from the inside out. It comes from hearts that are undivided, unmixed, has the right motives, right priorities set for the glory of God in our lives, that we would live our lives to bring honor and praise to him, the one who came and made a way for us when there was no other way. And we have the promise of today that he will walk with us and he will continue to keep us uh, and and, and hold us close and near as we journey through this life. But we also have the promise that one day heaven will be our home and we will be able to see him face to face. Blessed, happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Would you stand this morning as the worship team leads us in this closing chorus?